Jesus was walking through the cornfields, and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands, and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked round at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, as we just sung, would you take your truth, Lord, and plant it deep in us? Lord, would you help us to hear and understand what you have to say to us. May that be different for each one of us, or maybe the same for all of us. Lord, you know. But give us the wisdom to understand. Amen. Good morning. Now, I don't know about you guys, but our fridge at home is covered in fridge magnets. Um, Photos, slogans, all sorts of things. One of them says... You can touch the dust, but you can't write in it. Another one that a friend who wasn't expecting to be here today and is here gave me was, men have three styles of hair. Parted, unparted, and departed. Now, why did she give it to me? Don't know. But another one. Can we have the first slide up, please? Sorry, next one. We've got this one. If you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. Now, our first reading this morning is all about rules. We live our lives by them. Some of them are over the top, the sort of health and safety culture and employment law and all this legislation that we've got to live with. And some of them we impose on ourselves. Like there's a rule in the Anglican Church that you're not allowed to sit on the front two rows unless you're leading the service. Look, there it is. (laughs) I'll give you a couple of examples of my rules. I've got this one rule. We've got a pot in the kitchen, on the kitchen table, with knives and forks in it. And there's, over the time, we've collected different sets of knives and forks. I cannot possibly use a knife and a fork from different sets. It's against my rules. Now, some of you may know that um, 
I'm a practice, GP practice manager in Harsgate. It's a bit nerve-wracking because my boss is sat in the congregation. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting it. Um, now I've got, if anyone knows how to produce rule books, it's the NHS. Yeah? There's a few nods around the place. I've got shelves full of rules, protocols, contracts, all sorts of things. I've not even touched the surface yet, and I've been there a year. We're in the throes of moving to a brand new building, and, um, and in the throes of designing it and everything, and there's rules about what can and can't go in a GP's consulting room, size of the room, type of flooring, size of desk, well, not quite size of desk, but there probably is one, I just haven't got to it yet. Now, I think the NHS must have learned a thing or two from the Jews. Because the number of rules, 39 different rules for what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, mainly what you can't do on the Sabbath. Um, and this is what was happening in Jesus' time. And still today, in Orthodox Jews, they still follow these 39 rules of things you can't do on the Sabbath. They're things like, generic things, like tying and untying. What do you do if your shoelace comes undone? I don't know. And some specific things, such as dyeing wool. Or hitting with a hammer. It doesn't specify what you can't hit with a hammer, just not allowed to hit with a hammer. And these are the rules that they would have known from childhood. And these are what the, uh, Jesus' disciples were accused of breaking. So what were they doing that day that so incensed the Pharisees? Well, in the first part of the reading, we heard that his disciples were walking through a cornfield, plucking off a few heads of corn, now, Ian showed us this clip. My favourite film of all time is Gladiator, I have to say. And Russell Crowe's character, Maximus, is walking through a cornfield, just rubbing his hands along the corn. I don't know, you probably all, well, we all saw it a few weeks ago when Ian was here. Um, and I remember doing that with my father-in-law's wheat field. He was, we were living by the farm. And I used to walk through and just pluck a few grains off. And um, exactly what the disciples were doing, sort of almost absent-mindedly. But they were being accused of reaping, of winnowing, of grinding, or maybe all three. Jesus himself also stands accused. Now, I don't know what specific law he's breaking, but working on the Sabbath, making someone better, healing someone. But Jesus preempts the questioning, doesn't he? He's always very good at that. And he said, I ask you, which is it lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He was always ahead of the game. But what does that say to us? What rules are we supposed to be following? What rules aren't we supposed to be following? Doesn't it just confuse the situation? Now, I mentioned at the start the myriad of rules we have to deal with in the NHS. And I'm sure many of you do in your work. I'm sure Tim does in his work and all of us do in various things we get involved in. But there's also the rules we set for ourselves. Or, or a set for us as we grow up. We heard some of the bad rules this morning about having to tidy your room. I think it's an awful rule. But um, when I was very young, growing up in a Christian household, I wasn't allowed to put, play football with my friends on a Saturday. When I was younger than that, I wasn't allowed to watch TV on a Sunday. And we never had a Sunday newspaper in the house. As I got a bit older, I used to argue with that one a little bit and say, well, surely we shouldn't have the Monday newspaper in the house because all the work for that has been done on the Sunday. I, I was beginning to get brave then. But when rules are applied like that, 
they just become legalistic, don't they? What's the reason? Not being able to play football on a Sunday. They just become meaningless. Jesus, though, points in another another direction. Now, I'm going to embarrass you, Tim. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Some of you may know that our our brand new vicar, when he was a little bit younger, about like this, really, (laughs) wrote a book called Freedom Within a Framework, and then a follow-up, very imaginatively titled, More Freedom Within a Framework. (laughs) I've read these books, I have to say. (laughs) They're very good. Um, But what I'd like to say is that Jesus' framework is... What we're looking at today is the original freedom within a framework. What Jesus does through his ministry is sets up boundaries, the, the framework in which we can then build our lives. However, the, the way we see that framework and the freedom that we can achieve within it are invariably affected by the rules that we've had since childhood. Whether they are to do with Sundays and what we can or can't do, the relig- religiosity like I was brought up with, with the rules and messages that we get through life, like hurry up, be perfect, those sorts of rules. Sometimes those rules that are intended for good can end up just enslaving us and trapping us. For many years I've, I've struggled with daily readings, daily quiet times, that sort of thing. And I was brought up in a family where, as a family, we sat around the kitchen table and always, every morning, had a quiet time together. And it became a thing we must do. Now, for my brother, it ended up putting him off Christianity altogether. For me, it ended up being something that I felt I had to do and then felt guilty if I didn't do it. And it wasn't until I found a freedom in a daily quiet time that actually God began to speak to me. It was also made a lot easier when I found an app for my iPhone that I could do it on as well. Because if it's technology is involved, it's brilliant. But that guilt that ends up enslaving you rather than freeing you. In themselves, these characteristics are okay. But when they become the drivers behind everything we do, it can become a problem. We can get drawn into a cycle so that we begin to work for acceptance. We follow the rules because we want to be accepted. By our parents, by our friends, by our peers or by God. The way we go about things is all back to front. You see, we work hard at achieving all the rules. Because as far as we're concerned, following all the rules is the only way that will provide us with an identity. It's the way that we feel that we belong. And it's our sense of significance is dependent on the fact that we achieved and followed the rules. This means that we're driven purely to achieve more and to make ourselves acceptable to God, to others and to ourselves, and that we can have a sense of acceptance. But this acceptance only ends up being temporary and fragile, so we end up having to go round the circle again, achieving the rules, following the rules, to get the identity, to get the drivenness, to get the acceptance. And it's ever-decreasing circles, and we just end up working ourselves into an early grave. If we're slavishly following the rules and the laws without understanding, we become trapped. It damages our relationships, the relationships we value the most, and any personal criticism rocks our self-worth and we're unable to separate who we are 
from what we do, who we are from the rules that we follow. And ultimately, it erodes our confidence in our position as children of God. And that's definitely not the framework Jesus had in mind. The framework he has in mind is one centred on grace. One where everything we do is born out of our love for him. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 10 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What we end up being, it's, the, the fact is, it's by grace you have been saved, through faith, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. We end up, the way we should be looking at it is a, what as James Lawrence in his book Growing Leaders has called, the cycle of grace. We begin at a place of acceptance rather than achievement. Knowing who we are, a child of the loving Father, it means that we start with grace. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Knowledge of our acceptance sustains and resources us for life and ministry. To be fully human is to acknowledge our absolute dependence on God, to embrace his sustaining presence. It's said in the reading I just read, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Our identity is then clear. It's not determined by what we do, but by who we are in relationship with Christ. I know that I am significant because God made and loves me and he has a purpose for my life. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Our activity and our achievement then flows out from our identity as we seek to fulfil God's purpose for our lives. Our output flows from and reflects the purpose of God. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. So who are we in Christ? We are children made and loved by the Father, friends gloriously saved by the Son, and servants empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear fruit. So what does that mean for us? Is this book a rule book, or does it bring us freedom? Jesus said in Matthew 22, when asked which commandment was the greatest, he replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. St. Augustine of Hippo, who's just coming up on screen now, in the early 5th century, summarised this as, love God and do what you want. His argument being that if we truly love God, then we will do everything we can to follow his standards. It's the other way around. We're not following rules so that we can love God. We love God, and then we just love to follow his rules. The Christian life is not about religiously following a set of rules, but it's about the freedom that can only come from a knowledge that God died for us and set us free. It doesn't really mean that we go on living just as we want, so that we can experience more of God's grace in our lives. Paul says in Romans 6, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? No. God wants us to follow his rules, but out of a real sense of freedom. Following his rules doesn't mean that we miss all the fun. It means that we get to experience the riches of his grace. Now, it may be that you're here this morning, you've been a Christian for years, but you're still religiously following the rules and have not experienced the freedom that God's grace, love and grace can bring. You may be here as someone who wouldn't yet consider yourself to be a Christian. Ask yourself, is God offering the freedom that I'm looking for? If the answer to either of these questions is yes, then we'd love to talk to you and pray with you after the service. Find one of the ministry team, and if you're a visitor, ask someone who looks like they know what they're doing, they'll point you in the right direction. Or talk to myself, or Tim or Kate, I'm sure, would love to pray with you and talk with you. In a moment, Sue's going to lead us in a, a short time of worship. But before that, I'd like to play a short clip. You'll know the song. So maybe concentrate on some of the images and experience for yourselves once again the freedom that God's grace can bring. Amen.